Hello and welcome to Exploring Global Problems, a podcast where we talk to academics from Swansea University whose groundbreaking research is tackling global challenges, from health innovation to sustainable futures in the environment, from digital technologies to clean energy. My name is Sam Blacksland and today I'm joined by Professor Serena Margadonna. Serena is a professor at Swansea University. Her research investigates the problem of energy storage, particularly rechargeable batteries. She's focusing on the development of new approaches to materials and the manufacturing processes to drive sustainable production. Professor Serena Margadona, welcome to Exploring Global Problems. Thank you, Sam. It's a pleasure for me to be here with you. It's very nice to have you here with us. Can I start off, please, by asking you just to introduce your research and to talk about some of your key findings? Yes, my, as you said, my research is on energy storage, particularly rechargeable batteries. These are those uh, like uh, the lithium-ion batteries that you have on your mobiles, uh, in laptops, uh, in any power tools like vacuum cleaners, and of course in electric cars. And uh, the problem is that uh, these batteries have now reached a plateau in terms of the energy they can store. So we are now looking at new technologies and new materials in order to increase the energy they can store and also make the manufacturing processes more sustainable. So we look at materials that are not scarce or rare and uh, so in the view of the circular economy. Great. So it's so it's a very it's a very relevant and very talked about topic that we hear a lot about. Just to sort of bring it back to its fundamentals, why is the new generation of batteries so important? As I said, because um, the number of applications for which we need batteries as it's uh, increasing every day, apart from, of course, uh, transport, uh, like cars, we also need to look at buses, uh, trucks, boats, planes, um, which need a different type of uh, batteries from what we currently have. And of course, there is also the problem of uh, to switch to 100% renewable energy production. Of course, we are talking about here solar and wind, which are intermittent, which is a subject to alternation throughout the day or the seasons or the weeks. So we need to store the energy when it's produced and release it when it's needed, particularly when we talk about houses and in, in buildings that can produce their own energy the solar panels and so the batteries can store it and release it when it's needed. Great and I know this is going to sound like an obvious question and most people are going to know or think they know what the answer is but why is all of this so important? Why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about you know more sustainable futures? Well, Because um, I mean I think climate change is the most urgent global challenge that we all need to understand, but particularly we all need to contribute towards the solution of the global talent. And as scientists, we have the opportunity and the means to really make a change. So batteries are in this framework. They can help towards the 100% decarbonized societies and they are a pillar towards uh, many of the policies of the various governments, I'm talking about particularly the UK, to go to net zero by 2040. If you'd like to visit us and find out more about studying at Swansea University, visit swansea.ac.uk forward slash open days to book your place. I've, I've read 
from from your work that they're essential for enabling 100% renewable energy. I mean, is this the is is this the long term aim? We want 100% of our energy generation to come from renewable sources. Yes, I believe so. That we should go 100% renewable. We have all the opportunity to do so. We have solar, we have wind, we have tidal, we have geothermic, we have every means to do that. And also the technology is constantly developing to enable us to do to reach the goal. And energy storage, of course, is one of the bottlenecks at the moment. So that's why I am working into this area. Great. And I know we're going to talk far more about the, the, the storage element of it in a second. I know you're not a policymaker or anything like that, but on the politics, just, just for a moment, someone like me who isn't involved in, in this area particularly, but just watches how the world develops. You know, I see countries like the UK very committed to net zero carbon for sort of, you know, 100% renewable energy generation. But then I look at some of the biggest kind of countries and the developing countries and the biggest emitters in, in the world, you know, for example, China, but also countries like India, Brazil. And I wonder if what we're doing, which could potentially be expensive, could potentially be quite difficult in terms of the technology, might not actually make that much of an impact because other countries are not going to follow suit. What, what do you think about that or just the general picture? Well, I think that definitely the countries like uh, you know in Africa or in South America or in, in Asia, they are you know, also currently developing. So we need to enable them to reach a, an economic growth. And the solution that we need to provide, which are very much technology, technology advanced now in the UK, and they need also to become much cheaper so that countries that don't have our means can actually afford these technologies, which is possible through, for instance, by researching technologies that are, you know, that can be applied in areas which are not very urban the use materials that are actually locally available and they are cheaper simply to run and to construct. Yeah, no, that, that's very interesting. Is this, is this in some ways sort of Western countries almost trying to lead the way? <laughs> oh God, that's a, <laughs> it's a tricky question. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because it has connotations, you know, with sort of pre- previous eras where sort of the West had ideas yes. about how things should be should be done. My personal take, and I said it's my personal take on it, is that the Western countries have started contributing towards pollution and towards uh, climate change and emission much earlier, if you like, because we were, we started from the Industrial Revolution. So we we should carry this bargain to be the first ones to to move out of it, yes, uh, and to lead the way. So that when uh, the technology becomes cheaper, because also it's a question of mass production, yes? So if you produce in mass, mm. then the technology becomes cheaper. Also, other countries can be, they have an incentive towards it because it's a, they can apply it at a much lower cost. And also because it becomes so widely available, if the Western countries adopt it, it is going to be also much easier to export and to become a global effort. Yeah, I understand. When it comes to renewable energy, and I suppose this feeds into discussions about the storage of it, there are significant problems with certain kinds of renewable energy, aren't they? I'm thinking that, you know, with wind power and solar power, which you mentioned briefly a minute ago, the wind doesn't always blow, the sun doesn't always shine, for example, and actually storing the energy in, or, or the consequences of storing energy from that can be tricky, can't they? Absolutely. And that's where uh, we, we, you just touched upon the heart of my research. Great. <laughs> uh, 
Yes, because they are intermittent. So the, we are in our society, we are used to, you know, we go home, we switch on the lights or we switch on our uh, kettle and we want to make our tea immediately. Yes, so we are used on what's so-called energy on demand. Yes. This is not possible uh, with intermittent energy production, such as solar or wind or tidal, for that matter. Yes. Uh, so what we need to do is to, in, during the day when we are not at home, we need to store the energy we produce, for instance, in a house by having the solar panels on top of us, mm. on, on, our, on our roofs. We store it. And then when we come back home, we have all the energy that we need to perform our uh, activities. Understood. And that's why everybody who has solar panels on the roof or in their houses, they should also have batteries to back up. Because at the moment, everything goes to the grid. So everything in each single building produces goes directly into the grid. It doesn't feed back into the house. Mm. By having the batteries, we will be able to use the energy that we produce directly. So when we hear this word intermittent, that just simply means what you've just described. Yes, it means that it's an irregular production. Okay, so it alternates. So, for instance, it can be within 24 hours, yes, for the solar panels, because, of course, they in the night there is no sun. Yes. <laughs> or it can be, you know, the wind. Sometimes it blows, sometimes it doesn't. It could be the tidal. So, you know, the tides, they have a very well-defined uh, moment where they go in and out, yes? So there are moments of interruptions there. And that's where the batteries are so fundamental. Now, I assume, or I, I know partly from, from reading around your topic, that the storing of this unused energy from renewable sources is a challenge, isn't it? Which is why there's so much research being done on it and why people like you are working so hard on it. So, yeah, can you tell us more about the, the difficulties involved? Yes, because uh, the, we have so far the most obvious technology that we all know is lithium-ion. And lithium-ion batteries are used everywhere. They are used in the cars, they are used uh, in every laptop or mobile phone, mm. and now they are also used in the, in the houses, okay? So the, the people start installing lithium-ion batteries uh, to do what I just described before. Uh, but they are also used uh, to the grid, to stabilize the grid. However, uh, lithium-ion, as it stands now, they have, it has a limitation in terms of, so we have reached a plateau. There has been many fantastic advances in the research, which have increased the safety of the batteries, have increased the amount of energy that they can store. Mm. They also have decreased the amount of time that it's needed to recharge. But we have reached a plateau. Okay? We cannot go further because of the, the intrinsic uh, property of the system. So that's why there's lots of research in the last 10 years on looking at what is so-called the next generation batteries, which have different materials and different processes. And with those, we can store much more energy than with normal lithium-ion batteries, but also they can be geared for different types of applications depending on what you need. So sometimes you need lots of energy immediately, yes, so a fast release of your energy. Sometimes you need a slow release. So depending on the application, 
and what you need, then different batteries can be best suited for that particular application. So that's why we need to find various technology to satisfy all needs. Um, for someone obviously not working in this field at all, give me a sense of how big or how sort of in some ways challenging this whole research area is. It, it, it takes up a lot of people's time in universities across the world, doesn't it? Absolutely. There is a huge effort everywhere in the world. I think every single country has a research program on uh, energy storage or batteries. Mm. Europe has a few, and then let alone the UK, have uh, a dedicated institute uh, to, to research, which is called the Faraday Institute. Yes. They are funding big big um, research consortia only dedicated uh, to the problem of energy storage. Of course, I always talk about electrochemical energy storage, which is batteries, okay, but there are other forms of energy storage, particularly also heat, yeah, the storage of heat, uh, which is not my area of research, but there's lots of effort also there. And the reason is that there is no There is no possibility to go, for instance, to a net zero transport system without having batteries that allow that. So it's one of the major bottlenecks towards our decarbonization goals, which is recognized everywhere. And this is why in the last 10 years we have seen a huge increase in funding in the area, but also sparkling of different technologies. If you'd like to find out more about our research at Swansea University, visit swansea.ac.uk forward slash research. A moment, so I'm jumping around a little bit here, but I just, this is, this is why it's a good conversation. But a moment ago, you mentioned lithium batteries. Now, that, there's a problem with those, isn't there? Because you have to mine certain elements for them. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes. So the major, um, in, in a lithium-ion battery, uh, the major components are uh, the electrodes, okay? So the electrodes are the positive and the negative sides of your battery. And um, what happens in a, in a lithium-ion battery is that the lithium-ions shuffle between the positive and negative side of the electrodes, which are the electrodes. Within the electrodes, uh, particularly the positive side, there is an active material which store and then release the lithium ions. These materials, the, the best performing materials, are made are definitely are the oxides, so-called oxide. And inside them there is a cobalt, a nickel, manganese, and these are all uh, metals. Particularly cobalt uh, is a precious metal. Uh, there is not so much availability. Uh, which means uh, that it really creates problems of sustainability in the future. Also, the lithium, of course, as you just said, uh, you need to mine it. And uh, there are only specific areas in the globe where there are reserves okay, of the brine, which is the lithium. And the fourth is also, if you like, uh, again, this is my particular take on it, it's not a democratic resource. It is centralized in certain areas of the globe, particularly South America, which means that for other countries, it can be difficult to access or it can be accessed at prices that are not possible for them to achieve, to, to afford. 
So we need to find a technology that I personally like to call more democratic. So from resources and uh, materials that are available everywhere on, in the globe. I might be getting the wrong end of the stick here, but isn't the, the mining of some of these, these materials, does, doesn't this happen in areas where people from those countries are exploited and there's actually really terrible working conditions and all this kind of stuff too? So there's, there's sort of an extra moral kind of conundrum here too. Yes, uh, you are absolutely right. It, it is, as I said, it's done in, in countries, as you said, where the working conditions are not um, ideal, and, uh, but it's the people are exploited in the mining. But also, you know, we are looking towards a decarbonized society. But if you look at it, the energy that it, and the resources, water, uh, you know, that are needed to mine, sometimes uh, they, are, you know, they are offsetting the, the good that we take from decarbonization. So while we are decarbonizing maybe the UK because we go towards, you know, all the, that we have only electric vehicles, in other countries, we are not decarbonizing. Actually, we are polluting more because we mine the resources that we need for our cars not to pollute. Yeah, and I want to bring I want to bring in electric cars in a second, but I mean, there are, someone might listen to that and think so. We we are exploiting and polluting sort of poorer countries so that we can all drive around in fancy electric cars. Is that it, could that be a fair characterization of what happens sometimes? Yes, yes. I mean that, that's why it's important to try to find technologies that use resources that are available everywhere. So what I call democratic such as, for instance, shifting from lithium to a sodium, sodium chloride, it's in the sea. So many countries have access to that, but also the process is much less energy consuming, both in terms of human uh, or manpower and, and electricity and energy. So we need to try to find different technologies with processes that are more sustainable, and more into the circular economy concepts. Now, I said we talk about electric cars more specifically. Electric cars get quite a lot of press and they're in the media quite a lot at the moment. But what I hear about most is, well, sustainability issues. I mean, also reliability issues in terms of you can't travel very far with them. But yeah, tell us more about this issue of rechargeable batteries and electric cars. The advances in lithium-ion battery technologies that we have seen in the last 10 years have been uh, amazing, I must say. We have now electric cars with a really long range, but also the, the technologies has also made it possible that they can be charged faster so that we don't have to spend five hours uh, at the petrol station to recharge it. And the, and the range now is really quite, uh, I would say, quite possible for uh, also for long travel. So now you can almost go from Rome to Milan without uh, recharging. That's fantastic for cars. And of course, there are now the prices of the car, I feel it's still quite high, but it's going to drop in the future due to the um, market becoming more and more available and therefore the prices will go down and the range will increase. The real problem, however, for instance, is that this doesn't solve the, all of the issues 
they are not only cars on our transport system, there are lots of lorries as well and trucks. So while, uh, and for those, current technology is not enough, lithium-ion batteries are not enough as they stand now, and that's because you need lots of them to make sure that the truck can go, which means that most of the space that the lorry will use to store the, the, the goods will actually be taken by the batteries, so it's not economically viable. Yes, because these batteries in these vehicles are big, aren't they? They take up a lot of room. Yes, they are big. They are big. How, how big are we talking? Sort of paint us a picture. <laughs> I mean, if you look at the Tesla car, mm. just for an example, they are all on the bottom of the car, yes, and yeah. they occupy ma- most of the bottom of the car. Uh, and that's also why they are so low, because, of course, that's, that's the balance of the car. But it's not only the batteries, also the system that goes into it, to the, the battery management system. And uh, some of them, some systems also have a cooling around them. So it's, it, they are big. If you look at the, at the area, at the surface area of the car, sometimes it can pick up up, up to half of it. And they are also heavy, <laughs> which means that you need more to bring the car, uh, to make the car go. You mentioned price a minute ago. I mean, they are still quite expensive, aren't they? And I, I think of people who've got electric cars as being, well, bl- bluntly, quite wealthy and sort of maybe upper middle class for the time being. That That is still the perception for the time being, isn't it, of electric vehicles? Yes, it is. And uh, I would agree that most of the cars that have a, you know, a, a large range, a long range, uh, they are quite pricey. However, as I said, there are now models coming out which are more affordable, particularly for city cars, yes, when you don't have to have a long range, you're not, you use it just for everyday life around the city. So those are now becoming more affordable. And the more uh, we buy, the more the prices will, will keep on going down. So it's, it's uh, the market uh, low, yes. The more there are, the more we buy, the the prices will have to come down. Yes, yes. And I know that you can't see into the future, but do you expect the prices to drop significantly to the point that, you know, the UK government wants to phase out petrol and diesel combustion engines? By the time they want to do that, which is in, you know, sort of, is it even 10 years' time, will electric vehicles be cheap enough for normal people to buy by then, do you think? They have to. Yes. Yes, there is no other There is no other option because at the end of the day, everybody needs to be able to move. I know that they want to incentivize correctly the use of buses, but not everybody lives in a city. Many of us, including myself, live in the countryside. So it's not always possible to go uh, efficiently where you want to with buses. They need to bring the, pri- the price down in order for all of us to get an electric car. If they will reach the low prices that we have now for petrol engines, possibly it will happen. If you have an electric vehicle, talk me through the process of actually charging it. So you drive it to a a specific charging point and you plug it in. But what's happening, sort of scientifically, what's happening there? And how long does it take for the, I assume you're you're recharging the battery, aren't you? But how long does that take and what's what's actually happening? If you look at the batteries, a battery pack, which is what you have inside a car, if you open it inside, there are many different what we call cells, okay? Within these cells, uh, there are different chemistries that go on and different processes, which is where we store and release the energy. 
So when you look at the cell level, uh, what is happening is that during charging, you are moving the ions. So in this case, let's talk about lithium. Okay, the lithium ions from uh, the negative side to the positive side. Okay, so you are giving the energy necessary to move the ions from one electron to the others. And this process is, is not fast. It takes time because there are various uh, kinetic and uh, reaction that have to, they have to happen. Mm. So the lithium physically have to shuffle from one side to the next. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's why it's lengthy, but also the, it's lengthy because it depends on the materials that you're using. Uh, and it's always a compromise, uh, as always, between how much energy you can store and how fast you can uh, release it. If you're a teacher and you'd like our help with talking about this topic in the classroom, visit swansea.ac.uk forward slash teachers for more information. If, if I had an electric car and I, I know it's very, you've just as you've just described, it's very different depending on different factors and circumstances. But if I had an electric car and I went to go and it was pretty empty or the battery was pretty empty and I wanted to recharge it, how long would I be standing around waiting for, for it to fully recharge? This depends really on the car specifications mm. Mm. and on the battery. Because the other issue, that if, if I may say so, is that each car or its um, manufacturer uh, uses different types of batteries. Mm with different chemistries, different technologies. And this means that also the batteries are not standardized. We don't have a standard type of battery. Uh, so that's why the specification varies so much between models. Uh, so it, it can really vary depending on the model and depending on the technology, depending on the materials that you have inside your cells. So it can go from, uh, you know, less than an hour to hours. But the real problem of not having standardized batteries is also comes down the line to the recycling of batteries oh, yes. because it's very difficult to separate which battery and which technology. So it's not only a problem, the problem now, it's not only on making new batteries that are better, but also how to recycle the batteries that, we, that end the camera to an end of life. And I'm going to ask about recycling in in just a second. The, the last thing I had about charging, it's just a it's a thought process that's going through my head, which is that we think of electric cars very much as you know sustainable and, and green, don't we? And, and I can see obviously that if you're in an urban environment, they're not actually emitting any of these kind of uh, pollutants out of their exhaust pipes and all that kind of stuff. But the, the energy has to come from somewhere, doesn't it? When you charge your car, it's being generated somewhere down the line. Obviously. I assume the aim is that comes from renewable sources in the long run, but I assume at the moment a lot of it is still coming from non-renewable sources. Is that a fair is that a fair characterization? Yes, absolutely. When we charge uh, the cars, yes, we plug it in you know, on a plug in the wall. Yes, mm. so basically we are uh, plugging it into the grid. Yeah, and the grid, uh, the energy that is in that is produced, it goes into the grid, comes from many different sources: solar, wind, and coal. Not and gas and uh, fossil fuels. Mm. Uh, of course, now, if you look at your bill, yeah, the electric electricity bill, uh, you can see how much of your energy is actually produced green, you know, the green energy produced, uh, so from solar and wind, and how much from uh, other 
fossil fuel related sources. And you can see that now really the amount of green energy is that is produced by solar, wind, hydrotherm, hydroelectric, tidal, so on and so forth is actually much more 50%. So we are on the, on the right track. Uh, eventually what we should be doing I believe is that uh, we have a charging point that are part, that are in which you also have batteries. They have also solar panels, so we can produce the energy, yes, store it, and release it when our car goes there to be recharged. Okay, Do you great. understand what I'm trying to say? Oh no, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just yeah, just looking at it in some ways from a layman's term, it's all very interesting. But it, you know, it's the thrust of my question, I suppose, was that a lot of people would would look at these things and say they were green, but actually, for the time being, the energy that it has had to be generated for them to be charged has come from non-green sources. Part of it. Yeah. I would just say part of it. Yeah, sure, sure. Okay, let's talk about recycling, because this is the recycling of these batteries is an important topic, isn't it? Why do, we, why, why do we need to do this and why is it so important? Well, we need to, one part of uh, moving towards a, a decarbonized society or a more a green society or the, the green recovery, if you like, yes, mm. is to be able to use resources wisely, okay? So we don't have an infinite amount of resources. So we need to be able to produce something which then when it comes to the end of life, we can dismantle and reuse as much as possible those resources that we needed to produce it in the first place. For instance, in the case of uh, lithium-ion batteries, okay, there are big efforts in trying to understand how we can better manufacture them in the first place so that when they come to an end of life, we can dismantle and recycle and reuse, I would say, the important and scarce materials that are inside, such as, for instance, cobalt that I was talking before, and lithium itself. And so that's what we, we really need to do. So we need to be able to reuse as much as possible all those resources from all products that are in our everyday life. And for battery, this is a big problem. As I said, because they are not standardized, therefore, we never know what is inside a battery at the end of its life. Mm. Also, technology changes so much that by the time a certain battery with a certain technology has reached its end of life, in the market, there are some brand new ones with completely different materials and technology, yes? Yeah. So there is, uh, there is lots of work there to be done. The other big problem is that um, if you look, uh, all of us in our house, we have plenty of uh, rechargeable batteries. We all have phones, we all have laptops, playstations, and so on and so forth. And when we don't use them anymore, so when they come to the end of life, we still keep them in our house, yes? Even if we don't use them, yeah. we still keep them, which means that there are not so many little batteries to, out to be scrapped and recycled, uh, which also creates a problem for research because there is no much we can, you know, we need to test our, our, our technology for, for recycling. So we need to be all to become a bit more aware and try to recycle batteries uh, more rationally and try to also get rid of all the batteries that we have in our house, all of them. And I'm not just only talking about 
rechargeable. I mean, also the standard AA and et cetera, et cetera, and recycle them properly. Yeah, there's those special places in supermarkets sometimes, aren't there, where you can go and drop your batteries? Yes, absolutely. And the energy storage group at Swansea University will be launching a campaign very soon among our student body to raise awareness about recycling of batteries. So we will have our, our well-specific recycled bins for all the students and staff to go and recycle their batteries. Now, in the first series of this podcast, we did an episode with some of your colleagues, actually, on the circular economy. And you've mentioned the circular economy a couple of times. And I know that it feeds into what you've just been discussing. But you want to sort of mention, mention it again and, and sort of expand upon what it is and why it matters. The circular economy, uh, it matters to everything, in the, to all the goals and the challenges in terms of green recovery, decarbonization, and, but also, if I may say so, a more just world. Each community, yes, needs to become more reliable on the resources that they have locally so that, you know, we decrease the emission due to transport of goods and et cetera, et cetera. So we need to be able to use the, the resources that we have, use them wisely. And because they are scarce, we need to be able to reuse them so that we don't deplete the resources of our own planet. Uh, so the circular economy is just that. So you start uh, from, from a product. Yes, you make a product with certain materials, with certain processes. And then by the end, it reaches the end of its life. You can dismantle it and then start all over again from its constituents. In terms of uh, batteries, it's exactly the same. So we, in the circular economy, you start from a battery and then it reaches after 10 years its end of life. We dismantle it and we find processes to dismantle it so that we can use the material from the start, creating a circle before circular economy. It's very, very interesting that you mentioned there, you know, uh, sort of striving for a, a more just world. And I know that you've, you've said in the past that science is a great opportunity for everybody con to contribute towards a better and more equitable society. It strikes me, and, and I've picked this up from across all the podcasts we've done on this, on this series, that when it comes to things like science and engineering, there's almost always some sort of wider moral or even political underpinning to why people do their projects, isn't there? There's often a lot more going on here, and there's lots of influences as to why people choose to do the sorts of research they do. Yes, absolutely. Science and technology have played a huge role in humankind. Yes, that we, we are where we are and we, because of the advances made by science and technology. I think anybody who is doing this type of work in research particularly, particularly in my field, in materials, they are driven by this ambition to make a change. Yes, to, to make sure that what we make, what we do, and what we are able to produce is actually meaningful for the society, has an impact, a positive impact to the society, which by definition has to be more equitable and just. So everybody should have access to opportunities, to technologies that can help their standard of living. Yeah, it's an interesting reflection. I want to ask one more thing about batteries specifically, which is the large-scale manufacturing of them, because you also look at this, don't you? Yes. Batteries have become widely used in very fast. Uh, so many of the processes that are used for large-scale manufacturing didn't consider much 
sustainability problems or end-of-life problems again or the use of resources. Uh, so we need to make the processes for large-scale manufacturing as sustainable as possible. Otherwise, we are just offsetting the problem. That's why we need to relook at the old concept of how we are making them in the large scale. So I'm talking about within factories. Yes, we shouldn't use materials. And in this case, particularly, it's in the case of batteries as well as solvents. So what we use to make uh, our electrodes that are harmful to, to the environment. We shouldn't use processes that require lots of energy. Because, of course, that, as I said, it upsets the problem. <laughs> So that's why it's not only important to look at to make the best technologies, but we should relook at the entire process of how we make batteries from the start, so from the materials, all the way down to the production of the end product, so the cells and the battery pack. Everything has to be rethought in terms of sustainability, in terms of energy consumption, and, and of course, in circular economy. And on this large-scale manufacturing issue, is this to do with gigafactories? Because I, I, yes. I'd, re- I'd read about Nissan, you know, in, mm-hmm. uh, in, in Sunderland and uh, announcing, you know, the UK's first gigafactory. It has to do with that, absolutely. And it's, it's of course, great news uh, that Nissan has um, decided to, to install the gigafactories in the UK. Of course, this is, creates green jobs, you know, job creation and wealth. But of course, you know, as every big factories, there are also problems related to, you know, to the manufacturing, how much energy is needed, how much fossil fuel we need to burn in order to make the batteries at that scale. We need to look at the processes, uh, which can integrate, however, in the way people are making batteries nowadays, uh, so that we can reduce the carbon footprint of the production itself. But the fact that people are choosing the UK come and install gigafactories is absolutely great news for all. Let's talk about you, Serena, for a second. How did you end up researching this area? Where did it all begin for you? It really began uh, when I was uh, 16. I did my international baccalaureate, my diploma, uh, in a school college, I would say. It's called the United World College of the Adriatic. This is uh, only one of the 18 colleges where... Students from all over the world go and live together and learn together. And the mission from these colleges, from the mission statement of the movement of the United World Colleges is such, is really is to empower uh, young generations uh, so that they can live and they can lead a more sustainable uh, and fair and just life. So I embraced that motto, if you like, to the early stage. And I studied chemistry there. It was uh, my, 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 one of my high-level subjects. And, uh, and I started loving it, understand how we can put together atoms and mole- uh, to make molecules or to make compounds. And the way you, you put them together gives you a certain properties in the solid state and how we can exploit this uh, to make better material, more efficient material in a more sustainable way. So it all started there with my love of chemistry and uh, the understanding the values that we were taught in that particular uh, college. And from there, it was kind of to lots of different countries, wasn't it? I think you, uh, have you worked in Norway? Did I read that? 
Yes, I worked. Uh, it has been uh, a, a, quite a journey in my career. Hmm. Um, I started, as I said, in Italy, went to the UK, uh, where I lived in different places, and then I moved to Norway, uh, University of Oslo. But then I loved the UK so much that I wanted to come back. So I, I started collaborating with some colleagues from Swansea University, particularly on uh, advanced materials. And, and then when I was given the opportunity, I was uh, over the moon to be able to come back, uh, particularly to Wales and Swansea hmm. University. Who wouldn't be? That's what I say. Who wouldn't be over the moon Absolutely. about Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, you, you, t- you talked about, about when you were 16 and the inspirations for going into this, into this career. There may well be 16-year-olds listening to you now who are interested in this topic, but also thinking they might want to study it and get more involved with it. So what advice would you give them if they're having those thought processes and they're listening? Is it to be curious because their love for science is really driven by curiosity. You know, try to understand and uh, how things work, really. So my advice would be to be curious, to keep on being curious, doesn't matter what stage you are, and uh, understand how things work and how you can use your knowledge towards, uh, as I said, a better, a better society and make use of your, uh, uh, you know, of your knowledge for a better world. That's what I would say. And always be curious. And uh, I assume that they... Uh should think about coming to Swansea as well because there's lots of good work being done <laughs> being done on it. Absolutely. I have been working in many different institutions, not only in the UK, but I also worked in Italy, my own country. I, lived, I worked in France and uh, in Norway, as I said. Uh, but when I, I reached Swansea University, I actually, for the first time, I, fa- I felt myself saying, this is home. The atmosphere and the collaboration among colleagues is absolutely stunning. I've never been in an institution where there is such as a community feeling. And this is reflected everywhere, not only in our research, but also the way we teach, the way we interface students, undergraduate and postgraduate. The community feeling is something that is really unique to Swansea. Well, that's a that's a nice way to end. It's been very interesting, Serena. Thank you very much for, for talking us through all of that. To find out more about Serena's work, please visit her staff profile page on the university's website. To find out more about this podcast and Swansea University's research, visit swansea.ac.uk forward slash research. That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. And thank you once again to our guest, Professor Serena Margadonna. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow. I'm Sam Blacksland, and that was Exploring Global Problems from Swansea University.